What can we do when we feel like our politics is inadequate for responding to the challenges of our time? We can properly order our own lives, orienting our families and our neighborhoods and our communities toward good ends in order to build a better future, particularly when it comes to the foundational human right to life, which remains the bedrock of all our political rights. And as Americans, we've traditionally responded to the concrete needs of our neighbors and communities, inspired by a combination of faith and practical charity, whether that's providing a home for a young mother, unexpectedly pregnant and rejected, whether that's finding a way to support a friend caring for an ailing loved one, or whether it's encouraging your wife or husband to confront a difficult diagnosis with courage and hope. At the same time, this requires creating and sustaining institutions that make life-affirming responses possible. The nonprofit organizations, churches, the schools, the hospitals, the hospices, and all of the structures that are part of a healthy and thriving culture. All of this requires the gift of ourselves, our love, our solidarity, and it requires the gift of material and financial charity. Dennis Gerber joins us to discuss these issues as president and CEO of the Knights of Columbus Charitable Fund. I'm Tom Shakley, and this is Life, Liberty, and Law. Welcome to Life, Liberty, and Law. I am Tom Shakley, and I'm so pleased to be joined today by Dennis Gerber. Dennis, it's good to be here with you. It's great being here with you as well. Dennis, we're going to talk about a number of things today, but um, Knights of Columbus Charitable Fund, <clears throat> chiefly among them. Yep. Um, but first, we want to hear kind of about your background and what brought you to this work with Knights of Columbus. So, so where's home, and how did you come into this work? So I grew up in northern New Jersey in Bergen County, uh, still live in Bergen County, New Jersey. You know, previously I worked at American University in Cairo running their annual fund. Then I worked at the Archdiocese of New York. I first worked in their annual fund, the Cardinals Appeal. Uh, from there, I, I got a job as director of board management, and uh, which dealt with all the different boards that the Archdiocese of New York had, uh, one of them being a donor-advised fund. And quickly I learned, A, what a donor-advised fund is, and B, the necessity of donor-advised funds in the current philanthropic landscape. And... Um, I also realized that there was a huge opportunity uh, in Catholic philanthropy to to have something more national on a national scope for for the Catholic Church. Other faiths have it, and we didn't. So, yeah. So we'll get into we'll get into that more shortly. But um, I, we should answer first: What is a donor advised fund? So a donor advised fund is a charitable uh, giving account. You make a gift today, you get the t- charitable write off today you then um, have advisory rights over that account. You name the account, you advise on how you'd like it to be invested within the investment strategies within the, that are offered, and then you advise over time, you make grant recommendations over time to where you'd like the money to go. The, the big donor advice funds are Fidelity and Charles Schwab, and um, they're very secular in their nature. Yeah, so I think you see with donor advised funds, you know, like Mark Zuckerberg famously yep. gave something like a billion dollars yep. to the what was it, the Silicon Valley Silicon Canadian Valley Foundation. Fund. Yep, the Silicon yeah. Valley Foundation. Um, so Dennis, you're coming at this from a, a place of faith. Um, you mentioned this is a, a faith inspired work. There are also secular donor advised funds. These are the sort of I think of them as the engines that that fuel so much of of charity and philanthropy in America. They're a way for folks to be able to give charitably. 
um, you know, in a way where maybe you don't know who you want to give to today, but by using a donor advised fund, again, whether at a, a, you know, Charles Schwab or at Knights of Columbus Charitable Fund, you can basically put away uh, a bit of a savings and then distribute that to the causes that matter to you over time. So, um, so our spin is that we're a Catholic donor advised fund. So the investments are managed in the Catholic way and the grant, the grants are, um, consistent with the teachings of the Catholic church. Absolutely. And of course the, the, uh, Catholic perspective on life issues, um, plays a vital role in, I'm sure how those investments take place, Yep. uh, informing kind of a structurally what a, a culture of life looks like in terms of the things that are good to invest in or divest from. And so that's, that's, I think it's hard for people to grapple with this because there's uh, maybe a sort of, a uh, an idea culturally that, these sorts of things are only for the ultra wealthy. You know, you, again, you see the Mark Zuckerberg's giving sometimes hundreds of millions, sometimes billions of dollars to these things, but they're also for everyday folks. They're, you know, p- people who want to put away a few thousand dollars yep. into a fund um, yep. to support. It could be, you know, the local shelter. Uh, it could be their church community. It could be a good pro-life organization, women's center. Yep. Yeah, no. So you're hundred percent correct. Um, we, we realized early on that we need to teach the next generations of Catholic philanthropists uh, how to be philanthropists. And that starts with children. That starts with young families, young families getting together around the kitchen table discussing their film, uh, phil- philanthropy. We have three different account levels. So we start with the zero minimum balance account where you can create an account. Literally, it takes about five minutes to create an account. You uh, you pay $10 a month on a, on a credit card or through your checking account directly to pay just to keep the account open but then you can build that over time so you have that 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 window 36 months um to have that ten dollars a month fee versus uh the next level which is called the covenant account so that's the genesis account then there's the covenant account which is our our standard bearer uh donor advice fund account five thousand dollar minimum unlimited granting and then from there we have the kingdom account which is for individuals that are have have the capacity to give larger larger gifts and need a little more support in the in the process. Yeah, that's really a it's it's a stepladder approach, right? Correct. I mean, I love yep. I love that idea. I'm thinking, of course, immediately of sort of it's like the Netflix of giving, you know, yes. ten dollars a month, yeah. and you can you can get in and get comfortable with that idea. Well, a young Catholic family, you know, three to five children, just starting out. You know, I want my children to be included in our. Our, our philanthropic plan, and I didn't have $5,000 to open up a donor sure. fund, uh, but I wanted to. So we have, my wife and I are are both on the account, and then we have our three daughters who are seven, five, and three, all have their own username and password That's to log dangerous. into the account. <laughs> yes. But they could log into that account. They can make a grant from the account, and then I have to go back. I get an email, and I have to then approve the grant. Yeah. So if they give, you know, say I had $10,000 in my account and my oldest daughter, Colleen, goes into her account online and makes a grant to save the whales, right? You know, saving the whales is a great thing, just not part of what our family's right. philanthropic goals are. So I can, I receive an email saying, Colleen made a grant recommendation, please approve. I go and I and you deny, can talk to Colleen. I, right? I deny the grant. <laughs> but then we have that conversation that it's great that you want to give. It's great that you find something that you're passionate about. Why are you passionate about it? We can have that conversation. It's an easy conversation to have with the seven. It's, you can have that with a seven-year-old. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, what I love about the idea of donor advised funds, um, you know, we know at Americans United for Life, the role of these things, we see them as a recipient of the generosity of so many donors across the country who've invested in various ways. Um, But the idea of sort of demystifying charity, politics and religion are the two things you're not supposed to talk about in polite (laughs) society. Um, But you could add money in there as well, because people just aren't generally comfortable with the idea of talking about either how they spend their money um, uh, or maybe what they give their money to in terms of charity. And so, you know, I love this idea of of demystifying it and and opening up the conversation within families and even within communities Mm -hmm. to say, what are the sorts of things we care about? What is it? What is the sort of future we want to build? You know, and you think about that on a neighborhood level, you know, there are so many, there are so many good things, um, you know, crisis pregnancy centers um, and uh, maternity homes and pro-life organizations, things that need support on the local level as much as organizations uh, need support on the national level to do their work. That's, I mean, that's really what we're here to do is we're here to enable Catholics to give um, and we're here to empower organizations to further their mission. Okay, so that raises a good question. So is the the Knights of Columbus Charitable Fund, you know, that's a Catholic organization, but is is the investing aspect, is this just for Catholics or is it open to everybody? Uh, So the investing is done um, according to the USCCB guidelines. So the investments are all um, um, uh, cleared through through the Conference of Catholic Bishops um, for uh, ethical investing. The grants are done um, in... according to the magisterium of the Catholic church, but this is a, a donor advice fund that's open for, you don't need your Catholic card to get, yeah. to get in here. Uh, I don't, I don't ask for baptismal records, right. but it's just, it's a good donor advice fund with wholesome investments on one end and, and wholesome, um, grant, grant due diligence on the other. And we really make sure that, you know, there are a lot of what I call wolves and sheep's clothing out there. Yeah. Organizations that they look great. They do amazing things, but, they also provide abortion services in third world countries. You know, yeah. they don't lead with that. Yeah. So, um, or they'll call it, you know, healthcare services. Exactly. <laughs> then you, yes. know, you never know. You yeah. 35% of Yeah. So 35% of their operating budget might be abortive services or, or sterilization services. And you wouldn't know that. We use the term services very loosely here. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's no, a DC that, thing. That's uh, that's that's right. And I think you know this was this was something that uh, you know questions are raised about this all the time because you look at um, a case like David Daleiden's fight with Center for yeah. Medical Progress, um, the you know corporations like like Stem Express that provided basically disposal services for what um, certain Americans characterize as human waste and others recognize more specifically are, are human remains that are the result of abortions. You know, the, the question is when you're investing, whether that's for your own retirement or whether it's for charitable purposes through something like a donor advised fund, do you want to be uh, tied up financially in, in investing in companies um, that maybe are that maybe are ethically agnostic on, yeah. on key issues um, relating to life? Yeah. Well, that's a, a, it's a huge point. So you know, uh, you have two hands. On one hand, you have the investments. On the other hand, you have the grants. And you don't want one hand fighting against the the pro-abortion world, and then the other hand is investing in the pro-abortion world. That's exactly right. So yeah. we, you ha- you know you have to pick both you know carefully. Whether if it is your retirement account or if it is your donor advice fund account or anything you do on a daily basis, you want to try to be going the same the same way on everything. Absolutely, yeah. And so let's let's back up a minute and talk about the the Knights of Columbus Charitable Fund is is relatively new. When was it founded? So it was founded originally um, as CCF Giving in March of 2017, and 
we became affiliated with the Knights of Columbus December 2018 and relaunched uh, this past June. That's excellent. That's excellent. And so now the Knights of Columbus, we've talked about before on Life, Liberty, and Law uh, in the context of, of, of the attacks of, uh, of, of certain members of, of the Senate, uh, Kamala Harris and, uh, and, um, and others. The Knights of Columbus is the world's largest Catholic fraternal service organization. It was founded in 1882 by Father Michael McGivney. Um, it's based in New Haven, Connecticut. And so the Knights of Columbus is a, a major organization. It's you know nearly 150 years old. And, uh, and it's, it does charitable works across the United States, but also across the world. It's right. got millions of members yeah. and, uh, and it's active in, in communities in all sorts of ways. It's, it's like the Rotary Club. Yeah. In, a, in, in a way, um, it, I think it's more than the Rotary Club. It, you know, it's, it's, it's the mission, Father McGinney's mission is, was to help his local parish families uh, in disaster during times of crisis um, if a family member passed away and that's that's how the knights came together it's it's essentially it's a it's a life insurance company that a fraternal life insurance company that that does a lot of really great work recognizing that life insurance means more than money too right exactly. i think that's the beautiful aspect of you know we've talked with it's community uh, it's it's faith it's community it's the charity around everything every aspect of that this is exactly what we spoke about with uh with lewis brown from the solidarity aspect of yeah. building a healthy community you need that so Knights of Columbus has been around a long time. It's it already engages in tremendous charitable activity. It funds things across the country. You know, it, it funds uh, famously as regarding the life issues, the implementation and availability of ultrasound machines yep. across the country, which are critical for the informed consent of mothers who are making the choice for life and discerning what to do in the face of unexpected pregnancy. As just one example of the sort of work they do, uh, not even to include relief outreach in places that are affected by hurricanes, for Bahamas, instance. Yeah. Exactly. And so, so how you know how did the Knights come to see the the role of a donor advised fund as being a, a sort of a unique value add to the charitable work they already do? So, yes, since you're 100 percent correct, last year the Knights gave away 185 million dollars to charity throughout the world, and um, as a leader. A philanthropic leader in the Catholic faith, um, the leadership of the Knights of Columbus saw the value of adding this to their 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 offering for for their membership and for the greater Catholic community. Because, like I said, we we have to educate the next generation next generation of donors, next generation of, of philanthropists in the United States in the in the Catholic Church. It's 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 critical, and we are a leader, and we should be leading the way. That's awesome. And it happens through family, right? It happens through those local communities. That's where they already are. So could you help me unpack for a second and understand, you know, if I'm interested in supporting a good cause in my community, say a maternity home, what is the difference? Why not just make a direct cash gift, right? Why not just give $100 or $500 or whatever it is to help them buy some equipment they need or to help provide for rent for a mother in need um, versus putting that money in a donor advised fund? So, uh, very good question. And I would say if, if your goal is to make that gift today, make that gift today. If your goal is to create a legacy for your family and for yourself and to think more strategically about your giving over time and try to maximize your giving, that's where a donor advised fund comes into play. Um, you know, the reason why I have a donor advised fund, I do all my giving from the donor advised fund, uh, is because I have 
seven or eight organizations that we give to on a monthly basis. That would mean at the end of the year, that's seven to eight organizations that I have to keep track of if they've given me a receipt for all the, all the contributions that I made. Yeah, That's seven to eight checks or seven to eight ACHs. This way I set it, I forget it. I don't have to think about it again. The donor advice fund takes care of all of it for me. And, you know, potentially tax free growth on it. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So I think it's a, it's, it's a balance, right? You can do both. You, it's not a question of divorcing. It's not a question of saying I have to either just do direct giving today to the people in need, or I have to do this other thing. I think it's a, it's a both and. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, just, it's a, it's a really great way to, once you realize what your, your goal is as a philanthropist, um, and that could be anything and that could be a hundred dollars a month, $50 a and month. it starts at that $10 a month level. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it, you know, once you realize what your goal is, um, then it's about maximizing that and, and thinking about it into the future. So it sounds like you're trying to reach everybody with this. It's, right. it's open to people, basically everybody who wants to make an impact. It's lofty, and it's, lofty it's, goals. It's invested in a Catholic way. It's invested in a life-affirming way. So it should be attractive to, to pro-life Americans from that perspective, regardless of their, their faith background. What would you say the goal of Knights of Columbus Charitable Fund is as a part of the overall landscape of donor-advised funds in the country? There's, I don't know, how much wealth in donor-advised funds at this point? They've, they've just taken off like a rocket in the past yeah. 10, 20 years. No, you're right. In 2016, there was uh, $77 billion under management in donor advice funds nationally. $77 billion. $77 yeah. billion in 2016. 2013, I think it was something like $45 billion. Um, so the growth from just... Just the past 10 yeah. years. Yeah. And then uh, as of the end of 2017, there was $110 billion in donor advice funds. Um, granting went from $15 billion to just about 20 billion now. And uh, there are over 450,000 accounts nationwide in donor advised funds. Um, Huge. Like I said, there are a lot of other faith-based donor advised funds nationally. And they, you know, the money's already given away. You already gave your money away. So you- um, To these donor advised funds. Yeah, yeah so you already yeah. gave them, you already received the tax benefit. Now you're looking for places to, to make grants to. You're looking, you're just looking to help. And these faith-based organizations, these faith-based donor-advised funds, and really any of the donor-advised funds that have a, uh, a, a spin to them, like faith or um, the affinity network that they might have, they have the ability to say, hey, can you help this organization? Um, so they have, they have the ability to reach out to their donors and, in a way, influence uh, um, the areas that, that, that they give to. You know, there's nothing like this in the, in the church in the United States. And... You know, uh, we have the opportunity uh, on the scale that we have through the Knights of Columbus to help um, introduce organizations uh, on the national level, on the local level, to individuals who might not have heard of them before, and really to um, engage individuals and to to ask them for help. Yeah, yeah. So when you're describing, you, you said there's something nearly a half a million donor advised accounts. Yeah. And so I immediately hear that and I say, well, you know, Knights of Columbus itself has something like, you know, 1.5 or 2 million members in the U.S. Yeah. And so right there, even a, a fraction of Knights members exactly. joining would dramatically alter the landscape of donor advised fund giving yeah. in the United States, which would dramatically um, impact yeah. and, and help strengthen yeah. charities. Yeah. All these things, all the organizations that need money. And not just Catholic charities, but also organizations that are in a line like uh, like. 
Americans United for Life. Um, we have a lot of partners that are not just Catholic organizations and a lot of people that are fighting the same fights that we fight. And we want to make sure that they're, they're, they're all funded from the smallest little organization in, in a small little town to the largest organizations in Washington, D.C. That's right. Yeah. And that makes sense. I think intuitively that, that there's a sort of a, uh, it's, it's like a toolbox where you can go in and you can take the right tool out for the job. Right. And, uh, and sometimes it's going to mean different levels of support, depending maybe on what the program is or what the need is at that particular moment in time. The Knights of Columbus Charitable Fund and the Knights of Columbus itself, I think, are going to obviously continue to be a major player in these issues, especially when it comes to life issues, in supporting them and in helping people make life-affirming decisions. But Dennis, you have a personal story that intersects with all of this work and that I'm, I, yeah. I assume, inf- you know, and that informs the way that you do this work. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, you're a husband, you're a father, yeah. you've got a, a great wife and, and some great, uh, great kids. Um, how did you come to this point in your life? So I, I guess we could step back to the beginning of everything. And um, so I was adopted at birth. Um, my birth mother was 18 years old. She walked into a hospital in Philadelphia and um, literally was giving birth to me in an elevator um, and told the nurses and the doctors on staff that uh, she wanted to place me for adoption. Um, the, the, the doctor who delivered me had his, uh, a, a partner of his, a business partner of his, uh, was also on call that day. Uh, and uh, that doctor heard about me and he says, I have a family. And he literally took me <laughs> and hid me in the hospital. There was one nurse that knew where I was. And that's it. Um, he that's was tr- incredible. He was trying to keep me out of the system long enough that he could get to this family that he had uh, that he, he knew was looking to adopt a baby. So um, just so happens that that family was staying at his house uh, in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And um, so he calls his house. He says, let me speak to Dennis and Marianne. My mom gets on the phone. I just told the end of the story. Uh, my mom gets on the phone, <laughs> and um, my my mom's cousin's husband, Uncle Carl, says, uh, "Marion, I have a a, a baby. If you, if you know, if you'd like to adopt him." His birth mother came in, and before, I don't even think my mom asked my dad at that point. <laughs> um, <laughs> but she uh, she said yes. She didn't know if I was a boy, a girl. She didn't know if I was healthy, not healthy. She just knew that God put me in their 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 heart and in their life at that point. And, and there was no other answer other than, yes, we'd like to adopt the baby. So at that point, he said, all right, get an attorney because I can't hide this baby forever. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, they, they got an attorney. The attorney started the adoption process. And the attorney you know, was very frank with them and said, I don't know if this is going to work out. So don't get your hopes up. So go home and we'll give you a call. Um, so my parents went home. They lived in a house. Um, it was a, it was a, an expanded Cape. Just, it was a regular old Cape house, but the upstairs was turned into a second, second apartment many years before my parents bought it. And my parents added an additional apartment on the side of the house behind the garage, um, for all my grandparents to live in the house. Mm. So upstairs was my mom's mother. And, uh, next to the house was my parent, my dad's parents and my house my parents house was the demilitarized zone between the two um my sicilian grandmother upstairs and my neapolitan grandmother next door that's tremendous yeah it was uh so 
Um, so they didn't tell their parents. They went home. They pretended like, oh, they, we had a great trip. We were, they were down to see a, a, a specialist about fertility because they were unable for many years to have a baby. Three days later, they get a phone call in the morning, and said, they say, you know, come down today, bring one outfit, and hopefully by the end of the day, you'll be going home with a baby. So they pretended like they went to work like any other day. They didn't tell their parents. Wow. Yeah, which is tough because I couldn't do that. And um, They played uh, it cool. Yeah. yeah, they both took their cars. They parked them around the corner from their house and drove down to Philadelphia. Um, and in Philadelphia, the attorney handed me to them. And, uh, and then they brought me home. And once they got me, they actually they said, well, what do we do now? We have nothing. Uh, so... Uh, you know, they call their house and they tell their parents, you know, mom, dad, congratulations, your grandparents. So my grandparents kind of flipped out. Oh, incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think within a, a matter of 15 minutes, there was about 200 people, 300 people in my house painting, bringing diapers, <laughs> um, uh, bed, everything that I needed, toys, um, clothing. That's that direct response we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so much so that the police, I think, showed up to the house to say, is everything okay? Because there were so many people that the street was packed. Um, but my parents still, they didn't have a car seat. They had nothing. They So they were at my aunt and uncle's house uh, with me, and they had a wicker basket. It was a fruit basket. Uh, and they brought me home in this big wicker basket. And you were basket. in the basket, yeah. Yeah, that's, the, that's what they brought me home in. Um, so that's the story that I've always known. I've always known that my birth mother was 18, she was adopted through Catholic charities in Philadelphia and that she wished me to be raised Catholic, um, which I was, uh, fast forward then to 2017, the state of Pennsylvania, um, opened up their adoption records for adoptees to get an original copy of their birth certificate. Um, I heard about the law. It was November 13th. The law was enacted. So I was able to apply it that day. Um, I applied for an original copy of my birth certificate, not thinking that anything would come of it. Maybe it'd get lost in the bureaucracy of the state government. Yeah. Um, and then a week before Christmas, I received the letter from the state of Pennsylvania. My wife, I was at work and my wife called me. She said, Dennis, you should come home. I said, well, why? You got a letter from the state of Pennsylvania. I immediately my stomach sank and I was like, wow, this is really happening. Um, and when I got home, it hit me that I was going to see the name of the woman that I've been praying for my entire life. I didn't know that until that point. We found her on Facebook. And up until that point, people would ask me, you know, did you ever want to meet your birth mother? And I said, no, I don't, I don't need to meet my birth mother. She has her life. I have my life. I have my parents. An amazing life. Um, great parents. Um, but I did want to say thank you. And if I couldn't say thank you to her, I want to share my story with as many people as I can, because if I could, you know, they could, if, if there's somebody that might hear it, that might be discerning what to do with a unplanned pregnancy, I might be able to help. And there, there have been instances where that that's actually happened in my life and it's all worth it. So I always said that I, all I ever wanted to do is really write her a letter. And that day I, I sat down, I found her on Facebook <laughs> And wrote her a letter on, like, on Facebook Messenger. Yeah, yeah. And I got to tell her, <laughs> this always chokes me up a little bit, but I, I, I said, you know, I was adopted in Philadelphia. 
I was raised by amazing parents. I have an amazing family. Three beautiful daughters. And I owe it all to my birth mother. And if you're not my birth mother, I'm sorry for making this painfully awkward. <laughs> Merry Christmas. It's beautiful. That's so beautiful. <laughs> um, and then the next morning, I, 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 I do CrossFit. And that next morning, I was at a CrossFit class. And I was worried. I, I didn't know. She didn't respond. And she didn't even look at it. I was really, really nervous. And um, um, that next morning, I was at CrossFit was done. I was all sweaty. And I was sitting down recovering. I look at my phone to check my email. And I see I had three messages. So, again, my stomach sank. And it was from her. And, you know, her response was that I've always been a part of her life. She's never kept me a secret. She's so happy that I had a great family. And she... Um, she asked if she could be a part of my family, part of our lives. Incredible. And we talked for about two hours after that, and um, we have at least said good morning ever since then, every day. Incredible. So, so that night I asked her, I asked her at, when we were talking, our kids were at school, our youngest was uh, a few months old, and I asked her if she wanted to, or a year old, I asked if, if she wanted to meet her grandkids. I, she, she, little back story on her she moved from philadelphia got married had an amazing has a has a great life a great family um great husband uh, i was her only child she raised her husband's child um who he had custody over and um so i was her 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 only biological son and i had three daughters so her three granddaughters. So I asked her if she wanted to meet her granddaughters. Um, so that, that evening we were, we were getting ready to FaceTime, and I asked my oldest daughter, Colleen, who's five at the time, I asked her, you know, do you want to meet daddy's belly mommy? That's how I, I always called her my belly mommy. Yeah. Daddy, you know, I, it was never a secret to them. I always tried to make sure that they understood that I had a mother who raised me and a mother who placed me for adoption. So belly mommy and mommy. <laughs> yeah yeah um so that that evening so colleen our oldest she's she got really excited she's like yeah i definitely want to meet her um she said daddy what do i call her <laughs> and um yeah, I, said, I said good question I, I i don't know i i'm calling her nancy what would you like to call her she said, how about grandma nancy this is perfect um and then she said she remarked uh daddy i have three grandmas now and you have two moms. <laughs> and I just gave her a giant hug and started crying all yeah. over again because, the, you know, just amazing to hear her think like that. And, uh, yeah, and then it's been unlike any possibility I ever thought would come from meeting my birth mother. I never knew that I, I never thought that I'd have a relationship with her. You know, February of 2018, we went out and visited with her, the whole family, and her family and her her husband's extended family are our family. You know, her niece calls me. Her niece's kids call me Uncle Dennis, and my wife is Auntie Elise. And my kids are cousins with their kids. And it's just it's my you know, that's a uh, whole family. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, you know, I, I've I've talked to other people about this, and I, I've I've said that you know, the, the multiplying of grace is just just amazing and uh yeah it's it's great 
yeah these that's these are the stories that i think inspire folks it's so difficult to wade through the day-to-day pro-life pro-choice debate and it's so difficult for it to be actually real yeah right in the sense that it's not these aren't political arguments they're they're concrete arguments in the public square and in the political arena yeah. but they're about the human person yeah right they're they're about the little babies in the wicker baskets they're yeah. about you know the families that respond to the need they're they're about um honoring the birth mother and honoring her intentions for her child even if she's not equipped and doesn't feel equipped to raise that child mm-hmm. um they're about a whole family how a whole family can come together uh over time you know in the way that yours has so beautifully yeah Right. I mean, this is this is the the witness of hope to yeah. a more life affirming culture. Yeah. I you know, and there there, if it wasn't for the 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 witness that my birth mother had of adoption and the beauty of adoption for her parents, she would not have understood how beautiful adoption could be for for me, and she might not have made the same decisions because she there was pressure to abort me. Um. And it's it's very difficult to think about that. It's very difficult to think about um, all the babies that were in my shoes in the same exact situation that were aborted. And why me? <laughs> How do you work through that? I don't know. <laughs> um, I just I pray a lot. Um, give thanks a lot. Uh, but I still, I don't know why me, um, you know, I see my kids, I see my wife, uh, and we wouldn't have the family that we have. My wife wouldn't have the vocation as my, as a spouse and as a mother, my children wouldn't be here. Um, it's tough and it's tough to think it's tough to talk to the people that I love in my life who don't see that. Yeah. It's a reminder that we all belong in each other's lives, right? In some sense, you know, even if it's just a passing moment, you know, the person we, we choose to say, you know, good morning to as we walk past them on the street or the person we strike up conversation with and that those awkward moments in the elevator as you're going up or down, um, you know, or whether it's a family member or whether it's a good friend um, or someone that we know over a period of years in college or afterwards or a neighbor, when people are removed from our human society, when they're removed as, as brothers and sisters in our communities, we're all the poorer for it. Yeah. It can sound so trite to say, but I mean, this, this illustrates it, right? And we can all ask that at the end of the day whatever our circumstances, we can all ask that at the end of the day of, of why us in a nation that has lost more of its people to abortion and increasingly to deaths of despair through suicide by physician uh, and through denial of care and a host of other life issues that are confronting us, we can all ask ourselves, why are we the ones here? Um, and and we've got we've to give back and do something to build up a culture of life. This is why we talk about that yeah. ultimately. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's funny. I just thought about uh, "It's a Wonderful Life," the movie. Yeah, I, it's called like the George Bailey syndrome. What, what if I wasn't here? What would? What? Would, I don't think a whole town of Pleasantville, yeah, York, or right. whatever it was, would be different. But uh, um, it's you know, I, th- I think about that. What would life be like 
if I wasn't here. Yeah. There's a great, uh, there's a great witness from Terry Schiavo that I think of often in these circumstances that, you know, she had remarked uh, earlier in her life that where there's life, there's hope. And I think that, that just cuts to the core of it. Um, that, that when we have life, we can have hope. Um, because so long as we have life, we always have the ability to respond in love and in charity uh, to those around us and even those who aren't around us, uh, the, the folks who, whose lives we will touch without ever realizing we're doing so through things like charitable giving, through things like Knights of Columbus Charitable Fund. And so I think you know, that, that I can understand how this work uh, holds together for yeah. you because yeah. it, is, it is sort of a, a virtuous cycle, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah I mean... You know, what I get to do on a day-to-day basis, which is help individuals uh, to to create that lasting legacy for themselves. It might be pro-life causes. It might be religious liberty causes. It might be evangelization causes. It might be secular patriotic organizations. Um, but we're making a better tomorrow today. And um, it's just, it's a blessing and it's just amazing. And, you know, the goal for all this, the really the big goal is to be able to just introduce so many people to so many really great organizations out there on the local or the national level. Yeah, in a certain sense, there, there is no past and there is no future. There's, there's just the unfolding present, right? It's, yeah. it's the, the right time to act is always now because it's in the now, it's in this moment that we're speaking and it's in this moment that that we're being heard that we have the potential to to build a better world yeah. and so this is all you know i think it's it's that it, it comes down to getting started let's yeah. get to work yeah well dennis how do folks get engaged how do we how do we do yeah. this work so easiest way to open up an account uh with knights Columbus charitable fund is to go to our website uh knightscharitable.org and uh the upper right hand corner click and open up an account and literally it takes about five minutes to do awesome well dennis thank you so much for joining us today this has been a tremendous conversation i'm eager to hear about the work of knights of columbus charitable fund over time especially in the years to come and uh and to continue to follow your work and thank you for sharing your story with us really is incredible thank you tom Uh, absolutely okay so again visit kofc.org for the Knights of Columbus or knightscharitable.org for the Knights of Columbus Charitable Fund for more information on how you can change lives through generosity. If you enjoyed our conversation today, please stop what you're doing. Seriously, stop right now. Pick up your device, open up the podcast app and rate and review the show. We want to reach a greater audience and we need your help in this way to do it. And share the show with friends and family and others who share a passion for building up an America that is more life-affirming. And if you have questions, comments, whatever, email us, life at aul.org, and we'll talk shop. Thanks again for listening and for joining us for this conversation with Dennis Gerber, President and CEO of the Knights of Columbus Charitable Fund. I'm Tom Shakley, and this has been Life, Liberty, and Law.